Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's Garfield without Garfield of a show, A Game of Thrones. My name is Doug, and with me, as always, is Brian. And I, I want to give you a, a shout out here, Brian. You showed up to every episode. What does that mean? Uh, I, you are the employee of the month. Oh, thank you very much. I've been working very hard. Finally get that perfect spot I've been coveting for so long. No, you're just going to get your um, picture and your name on the board. That's it. Oh, okay. We like well, to give we like to give recognition, but no real uh, uh, show of gratitude in like uh, monetary or uh, you know functional functional use. Sure. It's all psychological. I don't get any ashamed bucks or anything like that. Uh, no, maybe uh, maybe next uh, fiscal year if uh, your review comes up. Um, Terrific. And the positive, but um, we are here today. We are gathered here today to talk about uh, episode uh, season two, episode. Are we on six? Maybe. Yes. Yes. The old gods and the new. Um, and initial impressions, I think, are. I'm gonna say modestly optimistic or modestly positive in my uh maybe that's because we've this is a little snoozer of a season um not a great season as a whole but i kind of enjoyed this one more than recent ones i don't know what it is i agree uh there were some plot twists that i thought were interesting uh some interesting scenes particularly the ones between ari and uh of course uh our boy tywin uh, yeah, this is good. Some action, uh, some actually not too disgusting and probably appropriate evisceration. Um, so this is right. this, yeah, I did like this episode. It, it it kept me hooked, and I do like uh, I like all the ranging beyond the wall stuff quite a bit too. I Maybe that's too. my predisposition uh, predisposition towards uh, the the uh, the planet Hoth being my favorite part of this Snow the rats. Star Wars. Yeah, Star Snow Rats. So let's launch it. Let's let's launch into it here, Doug. All right. So we start off in Winterfell, and uh, Maester Lewin is frantically scrambling around uh, trying to write a note and send off a raven, uh, presumably to Rob or somebody, one of the Stark allies, informing them of the attack on Winterfell. And that's it's made clear that there's an attack when you know guys bust in on Lewin. They capture him, uh, and then Theon barges in. Theon barges into Bran's room. Informing him that he took the castle and he is now Prince Theon. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Bran is severely unimpressed uh, and oddly not that terribly surprised, uh, which I thought was a little strange. Uh, let's see. Later, um, well, before that, Theon explains to Bran in almost like a brotherly fashion uh, what his responsibilities or duties are to the his people, the people that are remaining in Winterfell. He's like, you will tell everybody that you've yielded the castle to me or else I'll hurt them and you have to protect the people. Like, he walked him through it, like, in a very brotherly manner, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, so later, everybody is gathered. All that are left in Winterfell are gathered in the yard and Bran does his duty and tells everybody to obey Prince Theon. Uh, Asha begins, or Osha, whatever, one of them, Begins an obvious ruse by saying she was taken as a captive and she would gladly serve Theon because she hated the Starks and was taken against her will, which, I don't know, is somewhat believable, but maybe if you paid any attention to the relationship between her and Bran, it seems pretty authentic. Um, she also confirms that to Bran uh, that his dream has come true about the sea coming to Winterfell. Big surprise there. Um, Sir Roderick is brought in captive as he's returning home from, uh, the defense of Torn Square, and Roderick is defiant, 
and uh, he was gonna Theon's gonna lock him up, but his first mate Dagmar, his good buddy, uh, insists that Theon sentences him to, sentences Sir Roderick to death. Um, but not before Sir Roderick goads him into um, doing the act himself, invoking Ned Stark, um, Ned Stark's words, uh, words about uh, he who passes the sentence should swing the sword. Uh, but of course, Theon's a fuck up, so he botches the job, and yeah. it starts raining all of a sudden uh, in a clear day in a pretty obvious, like, terrible production. Um, so I'll let you go first, but I got a lot of things to say. Yeah, this was a good scene. I thought um, Lewin's panic, the opening of the as part of the opening of the show, I thought was really interesting, and it made you kind of stand up at attention immediately in the show. Uh, I did think that. I mean, I liked the the scene between Theon and Bran because it just showed how uh, shitty Theon is, and and how Bran just did not really give a fuck about him. You know, yeah. Um, he's, he's in there trying to intimidate a kid and. I mean, Brand's responses. Did you hate us the whole time? It was a very, very insightful line. Uh, maybe a little bit uh, prescient for a child, but still, it's a good line. Right. And throughout this entire series of scenes, the level of people just not respecting Theon yeah. is fucking hilarious. And you mentioned Osha's move. Dangerfield. Yeah, exactly. No respect. Uh, uh, you mentioned Osha's move, and you thought that. So you, you think that? And this was a question for me. I mean, I think it became clear as the episode ended, but I don't know if you watched it in a vacuum, if if it was actually apparent that Osha was attempting to uh, free Bran, or if she was actually trying to save herself. Uh, I mean, is there... I don't know if it's clear to, you know... No, I, 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 I agree with you. Uh, I don't know, once again, being a book reader, in the book, I, I thought she was on the, uh, the Stark side all along, just because she seemed to be uh real you know <laughs> if i can use a uh the parlance of our time uh mm. she was getting real as fuck with brand and they were having like genuine human connections um and maybe she didn't like her situation and wanted to be free but at the same time she just wanted safety that's the whole reason why she fled south um yeah so that's why i wonder if here I wonder if she recognizes in Bran that he's got this gift, and uh, I, I, I don't know why she would feel loyal to the Starks because they did take her hostage and have kept her hostage. I mean, it would make sense that she recognizes something in Bran based on her knowledge of the old gods, etc. And, that, thinks and that she, she didn't get captured by the fucking Boltons. She wasn't flayed instantly yeah. or or raped repeatedly. So like she was taken decent care of. I mean, obviously she's still a prisoner, and I we guess. already had the dis- we already had the discussion. What's the difference between a prisoner and a slave if there's no right. uh, parole in sight? But um, I just think she kind of grew. T- there was like mutual respect uh, for the Starks. Uh, I-, I don't know. That's the way it seemed to me. Plus, she she had an affinity because Bran doesn't have a mom. Fucking Catelyn's off gallivanting with her goddamn son or yeah. all this. So uh, I feel like maybe the maternal part was uh, there as well. Uh, but I want to rewind, and I want to just say that um, I'm enjoying Theon's um, portrayal um, the second time through on the TV show a lot more, um, just because you can see how confused he is. He is He's an idiot, but the, the confusion he has is he thinks he can be the perfect son to both of his families. His real family, who are a bunch of douchebags, and the Starks, and he just can't. But he doesn't see that, and he's desperately trying to do that. 
Uh, it, it that's apparent to me when he's talking to Bran. He is somewhat condescending, but he's not being rough with him. He's like Bran, listen, you know, like he was talking to him like an older brother. You have to do this, do that. And when Sir Roderick goads him into cutting off his head himself, he's invoking Ned Stark, and you know Theon wants to make Ned Stark proud somehow, even though he's dead and not around. So I, I feel like his inner conflict of wanting to please both of his families is coming through a lot stronger, at least I'm noticing it more, and I'm kind of enjoying it. So I, I will give this whole scene or sequence a thumbs up. I thought this was really well done. Yeah, I agree with you on a lot of that, uh, but some of the I, – I just don't like Theon overweighed some of uh, my opinion well, that of was it. My, that was my th- – my, when yeah. I first read the books, first saw the show, yeah, Theon's a piece of shit, irredeemable. Um, and it's not just his uh, redemption arc by saving – uh, Sansa in the show and uh, Jane Poole in the books. Um, he, you know, it's it's more that I, I, you know he was given given a shitty hand. Uh, now, obviously, people yes. are responsible for their own actions. Like you can't say, well, his daddy touched his balls when he was a kid, and so it's okay that he murdered like seventeen people. Now, uh, I, I don't believe that assertion's been made here, and that I, is a bit of a straw man or false equivalency. No, but you know what I mean. Uh, people, make, yeah, I uh, there's, uh, you know, there are reasons, and there are um, excuses uh, and reasons. There's excuses and reasons, and we don't know which ones are which. I mean, it, it just appe- it, it depends on what how generous you're feeling that day, um, and whether it affects you directly. Um, but you know, I I feel I don't feel I guess I do feel for Theon. I I just understand his conflict, but he's an idiot. I mean, if if anything, I still don't like him because he's he's so delusional that he thinks he can pull this off. He thinks he can make everybody happy, and you can't make yeah. everybody happy yeah. in life. Yeah. So next we head up north of the wall, and uh, Corin and the scouting party of about approximately five are. Five, not including Corn, are looking for wildlings, and they're escorted by Ghost. Corn and jo- John engage in a back and forth. Apparently, Corn knows things about wildlings. He's very wily. It becomes clear that Corn spends a lot of his time beyond the wall and knows the wildlings incredibly well. Kind of gives John the dangers of the talks about the dangers of the North, and also tries to talk John out of that uh, wild-eyed optimism that John seems to possess. How he gladly give his life for the life of, of the or for the watch and all that kind of nonsense and he tries to shake that shake that optimism out of john and, and points out how this will be a nameless sacrifice uh no matter what happens to john um so not a lot to that scene i i will just say i thought that corn came off as a bit of a dick uh like as as if like john could have said anything he would have asked him a question, and he would have said, "You're wrong, you you little shit." Like I don't think there was any pleasing Corin, um, and I think yeah, he, I mean I think he's testing him to some extent, in in the uh, way, in the way that say an, an Alistair Thorne could have done instead of just being out and out dick. I mean I think right. that these guys do have to kind of point out that like, hey, your your optimism is misplaced here. Do your duty. But I, I don't I, understand I, how it's relevant. Like. You're on yeah. this mission with me. Just do what I say. Shut the fuck up. He's giving him like he's handing out life lessons, as yeah. uh, fucking uh, Mac from It's Always Sunny would say. Uh, yes. it, it, it he didn't need this much, and I think it's just you know another situation where somebody else is trying to be John's father. Um, you know, uh, you know he is a bastard. His dad's gone, and you have Jora or Gior. Um, you've got Mance Raider maybe eventually. 
Um, so all these, like, he's learning from these people, and this is just another guy to learn from. But I just think he comes off as a dick. And a theme that I, I will go on and rant on later is I think the producers confuse being cool with being a dick. Um, and that comes off, especially when... Do you remember the Blackfish, which we'll meet, I think, in season three or later this season? Yes. He's a bit of an asshole. Like, he's not, like, in the in the books, he comes off as cool and confident, uh, but he, he comes off as an asshole in the show. But uh, yeah. getting ahead of myself. Uh, there's nothing mm-hmm. left there. We're going to go on to Heron Hall. So uh, Tywin is frustrated by the incompetence of his lieutenants uh, and remarks that his cupbearer is smarter or more um, literate, one of those things. Uh, I feel like Tywin's character is also a little whitewashed here because, you know, uh, we'll get, I'll go further into that. But anyway, um, Littlefinger shows up straight from the Ren Fair, um, and Arya obviously gets a little scared, uh, possibility of being discovered for a Stark by, uh, P. Tyre, uh, Baelish because Peter Baelish has seen her in the capital recently, so... She knows what, or he knows what she looks like. Uh, but anyway, Tywin and Littlefinger uh, banter back and forth. Tywin gives a little bit of shit to Littlefinger, saying, "That's a real hot take about uh, turmoil being an opportunity." What else do you? Whatever brilliant observations do you have for me? Yeah, I thought that was good. And uh, they also talk about the Tyrell alliance. Um, and then Littlefinger actually does recognize Arya, or start to show signs that uh, he recognizes Arya, but doesn't say anything. Uh, Littlefinger also explains why he was talking to Catelyn in the first place. He said it was on the orders of his son Tyrion, and it is assumed, I guess, that this was part of the trade for Jaime um, negotiations that he was there. Yeah, I, I don't. First of all, Arya is kind of too smart for her own good. I mean, she Tywin mm-hmm. recognizes clearly that she can read. Which he didn't know before when he asked her to grab a book, and she goes to grab the book before he's even finished describing it. So she seems careless. I mean, but then again, she is a whatever ten or whatever however old she is, girl. Mm-hmm. She's careless about this disposing what kind of information, and she also, uh, I mean, she starts acting real squirrely when Baelish gets around. And I don't, I didn't know whether Baelish recognized her or should have recognized her. He definitely started acting peculiar, like he. Th- like at the very very least, he 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 seems to think it's a familiar face. Like I yeah, know you then, from somewhere at the very th- least. Yeah, I, I don't remember them those two ever having any. Well, I guess you know there's probably like a part uh, like a scene. And I mean, I'm just guessing. The, I'm just thinking right now. I they I don't know if they were at the tournament, but Littlefinger was all up in Sansa's shit during the tournament. Yeah, the tournament or at uh, Ned there. Stark Solar uh, as, po- as po- is also possible. Then again, she looks like well, maybe she doesn't look different. I would think that she looked different. But it was at the end of the scene. He there was a point to him saying and her daughters. Uh, so I don't know if that right. was a um, referring to Catelyn Stark's daughters. So I don't know if that was uh, a way to try to communicate to the audience that hey, Peter does know it's her. But if he does. Why wouldn't he disclose it right away to Tywin? Because, because I think he's he's probably trying to figure out a way for himself to profit, rather than the so. people he yeah. serves. Be yeah, my... I guess if he turn, turns her, it turns him uh, her over right away to uh, to Tywin. Then what? Where's he doesn't gain anything out of it other than Tywin might be happier with him, but he knows Tywin is holding him at arm's length <laughs> as, as is. Yep. Um, so, and I, I also like the scene because. It just showed how opportunistic uh, Littlefinger is. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's that's as much as I decry other characters for being pieces of shit for whatever reason. 
uh, uh, little fingers, d- duplicitousness and opportunistic nature. It's kind of delightful, and I think it might just be this character and this actor the way he portrays the guy. That, and, and I, I think, think he's because he's so he's so unabashedly opportunistic. Right. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to be so. It's uh, it's hard to be that upset. It's not like he's out murdering people. You know, right. it's not. Like, you know, and plus he doesn't come from the uh, you know oligarchy of these very yes. entitled rich families. He's uh, a maverick, as it were, so he has to do whatever he can. Um, so uh, I think he it makes him somewhat sympathetic there. Yeah, although yeah. he does kill people, we'll you know we'll get to that. Certainly, uh, but yes, no question. Just that he, he that doesn't do it himself on screen. I guess would be a better way to put it. Sure. So next, we had uh, back up north in the Magnificent Six have found a wildling camp. I I don't understand how the wildling camp doesn't have a single lookout. You yeah. would think they'd be wily than that, but oh, one guy, you know, something. Uh, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah. So the uh, corn and the gang attacked the camp. Is that that was a really odd fight scene? It seemed like there were weird cuts in swords that were completely missing, but people were being cut down. But I, I don't know if they gave a lot of thought to that. Doesn't really matter too Probably much. It was cold, and they just want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I read today that these scenes were filmed on real glaciers. This is a oh, green. No, it looked legitimate. Yeah. It this looks yeah. Well, because it was, they're on a fucking glacier. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. But I, I um, will say the desolation of this place is just beyond the pale. Like. No, oh, nobody no. can live there. It looks beautiful and stuff, but it's just it's too far afield that like there's no trees anywhere. There's no there's no uh, you know shelter as Egret points out. It just seems too like why would you be up there? Like I don't know. It just doesn't seem like well, it uh, kind of have to be. It's not like they have a whole lot of other places to go. Um, and, and you know, yes. like I think that this is a, a, a comparison would be like say Inuit people who survive off of seal meat. You know, like there are ways to survive in this kind of desolate environment. And I think also... I guess, but they're also not warring people either. They're survivors. And and I think part of it is that I don't know that all of the wildlings typically do live this far north. I think part of this is that a lot of them abandoned their villages that were further south, closer to, say, Craster's Keep, in order to gather up north uh, under Mance Raider. All right, you should apologize. Let's, Let's move on. I'll concede it. Makes fucking sense. So, uh, so, anyways, uh, during the uh, attack, John Corners, the last wildling, determines it's a, a redheaded egret. Uh, she warns the uh, warns Corn that they need to burn the bodies, but Corn thinks it's a trick to signal to other wildlings. Uh, some there's some interrogation ensues. She tells of a hundred thousand wildlings gathering, but she refuses to provide any information. Corn wants to execute her. John intervenes and says he'll do it. Egret senses his reluctance and kind of gets into his head, uh, all Kevin Garnett style, and he just can't do it. Uh, because he's a man, I guess he's very sexist. He will kill a woman. So after he hesitates and yeah, swings his blade. what a chauvinist pig won't kill a yeah. woman. Yeah, I mean, you got to treat him fairly, yeah. even equally, yeah. So he swings his blade and hits the rock, which so stupid. I mean, yep. even... <laughs> I mean, just the, f- I mean, the idea he could completely destroy his blade by doing that. Um, so after he misses her on purpose, she scampers away, does a, a bunch of snow core, and somehow he's able to catch her. Mm-hmm. Um, this this whole thing annoyed me because yeah. this scene was out of the out of the the Walking Dead school of character makes a bad choice in order to create a plot line. Um, I just don't. I I don't know. I don't buy. I don't buy that Corin 
walks away from that situation without making sure that she's dead. Uh, I I don't know. I don't think that John's that mentally weak. I I don't know. I just I didn't like it. It comes off better in the um, books because I think uh, first of all, John doesn't like go to kill her and then unconsciously he misses because he just can't do it. He he makes the choice not to kill her and and he, I think he lets her go. And he was talking to Corin and he meets up with the gang afterwards. Corin and his boys and Corin's like, yeah, I knew you would. So it like made more sense. It was like a it was like a test. It was like trying to find out who John was that Corin did. Right. It. But the fact that they turn it into this awful chase scene that's just a fucking time suck. So um, core. It was terrible. Not not exciting chase scene at all. Like if if she was running to like blow a horn or signal other wildlings or something, but she was just running. She has no yeah. like definitive goal other than to just get away from John. That's not an exciting chase, uh, and it's not like I don't know. I, and you just, could they could have easily suck. like made it an interesting chase because presumably she has been running through snow her entire life right. and like could actually do something interesting, but um, just kind of boring, almost like the fight scene, just kind of boring. Yeah, it's just obligatory. I would say like it's like the uh, yeah like. Uh, Speaking of The Walking Dead, uh, we will be starting a Walking Dead podcast. Uh, <laughs> actually, same day this comes out. So if you're listening to this now, go ahead and search iTunes for The Shameful Dead. Um, it hasn't been recorded yet, so it might not be there, but uh, give it a look anyway. All right. Anything else to say about this scene before we move on to King's Landing? None whatsoever. Okay. So we're in King's Landing, and Marcella is boarding her ship for Dorne as uh, Tyrion... Uh, set up her she's been betrothed to the whatever one of the princes or whatever they call themselves in Dorne and everybody's there to see her off the entire royal court seems like and Cersei has a case of the Mondays because her daughter's going away uh, on a long spring break I mean Dorne sounds pretty cool probably party you know beaches all that shit Uh, and she threatens Tyrion uh, to murder someone he loves Uh, almost as if she knows about Shay, or it's a plot device saying, okay, well, Tyrion does love somebody so much. Wonder, oh, that's Shay. I don't know. Seemed a little ridiculous. Anyway, Joffrey is addicted to Tommen, uh, and then they all head back to the castle. On the way, the commoners start shouting insults at Joffrey. Um, and before you get to this scene, okay, you know, Sansa tried to stand up for for for, for everybody crying. Yeah, Tom and crying, and Joffrey's a jerk. I, you know, this scene. After seeing this scene, I had a real bad feeling about this this future marriage. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> yeah, uh, doesn't seem like they argue well. No, 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 not at all. He's, yeah, I mean, listen, he, 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 he might be, she might be able to mold him, but uh, anyways, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, let's see, so they're heading back, Joffrey's getting yelled at, I guess people are hungry, which I think the show mentioned that once, but they really didn't do a good job of showing how desperate the the, the commoners were as far as how poor and hungry they were. Um but anyway, there's more shoutings. It escalates, and somebody throws shit at Joffrey, hits him in the face, and he orders that uh, they kill everyone, mur- murder everybody. Uh, the crowd doesn't like this and fights back. Uh, somehow they get to the Septum, who in the books is the high Septum at the time, and they take him down and dismember him somehow. I guess they Jesus. were walking dead zombies. Like This is my least favorite part of this whole scene. What? what? How? I can understand them like beating somebody to death, but like ripping his arm off. I, I don't think. First of all, I don't think that's possible. We're gonna try it. We're gonna find a homeless guy someday and just we'll get him real drunk and we'll try to take his arm off. 
like you know maybe 15 dudes like in the show i don't know you 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 and whatever creep you've got on the walking dead podcast can do that i'm not going to be involved okay well we'll see we'll we'll see um anyway uh all the royals uh most of them are escorted by guards especially the the royal family uh and they're uh, they all scramble back to the red keep but sansa gets cornered and is forced to flee um and leaves the um you know, heads away from the castle just to try to find some safety. Um, so that's about it. Uh, what do you have to say about it so far? I thought this scene was shitty. I just didn't understand what the heck it was. And like the arm being ripped out was fucked up. I just don't understand like what this, I, I, I think you just said it best. It, it doesn't convey exactly what's going on. In the the general populace here in King's Landing, right. I mean, I think it's they they were right to try to show the anger of of the commoner, but the way that they did it just doesn't seem like it was a good. I mean, they turned the the commoners into savages as opposed to just desperate people. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, Everybody they should have seemed just, angry instead of desperate. Like they should have, they could have gotten a couple guys that are uh, just thin by nature, maybe, and showed like somebody who looks skeletal, um, just really starving, like. Just or or just at least drop some words about how desperate people are, and I think there was that one scene with Braun and Tyrion that we were wondering why that scene was in there, where they were talking about the populace and the the one preacher was talking about the demon monkey. Um, yes, but it it just didn't come across that the populace of King's Landing was this desperate that they would attack the the king and his uh, whole court. No, I, I think what they did is in trying to make it uh, spectacular or attention grabbing by having these fucked up, you know, uh, ripping people from limb from limb. They tri- they made the the populace go from desperate and angry to you know what? Maybe the Lannisters are right here because these people are fucking maniacs. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly. Uh, yeah, and so that's the problem. If they didn't have the raping the innocents and rending people limb from limb. And just, you know, people pushing back, you know, against shields like you would see at an actual demonstration. I think it would make more sense and be more effective in communicating that, hey, the Lannisters might not be right here, which I think is what that was intended. I agree. And I and I think I understand the budget, but uh, this this was the worst riot in the world. Like it wasn't filmed well. It didn't seem to have a lot of scale at all. I couldn't no. tell what was going on. It was all these close shots of people running and then cut shots to like one guy in a fancy suit getting cut down. Um, it just wasn't too well done. I didn't feel much anything watching this. Right. Right. So next, uh, with Joff is safe behind the bars and he's uh, off with their heads. Tyrion points out his foolishness that they've had a vicious King and idiot King. And now they've got a vicious idiot King. Uh, Joff is compl- him, which is great. Yeah. He's completely, Joff is completely overacting to getting hit by a cow pie and Tyrion tries to demonstrate Joff's delusion. I think this kind of ties into the uh, power speech, where if Joff doesn't rule the people properly, um, then they're not going to respect this power. And I think that's what's going on here. And so they realize Sansa's missing. Joff says to let them have her. But Tyrion points out that Sansa is critical to potentially getting Jaime back, and also alludes to the fact that Jaime is is important to him, or Joff owes him something, which I think is a an illusion to the fact that he's actually his father. Um, Maybe. And, yeah, I, I missed that, but that's a good point. Yeah. So then we cut to Sansa, and she's pursued by uh, these King's Landing uh, activists or civic leaders, and they are about to rape her. Uh, we yeah, cut thank, back. Thank God we got the threat of a uh, child being raped. Uh, it, it's yeah. been a while. 
So it's glad to see it's yes. back. Yeah, uh, well, and because of the way this turned out, I mean, I wasn't too angry about it because it didn't actually happen. You know what I mean? But um, doesn't the guy, like, he's on top of her and says something disgusting yeah. like, you ever been raped, little girl? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and again, that t- it also It could have just to- been implied. They don't have... I, it's just like when they when these people do this, it's just so fucking disgusting. And, and it, t- it ties in earlier too. It betrays, I think, what the point of it was. You know, um, right? It, if you turn these people into animals and cartoonish, kids, fucking mindless animals, you don't like, have, they are like zombies. It's like the fucking yeah. Walking Dead. Well, then you don't have a choice really other than to identify with the Lannisters. I don't think. Right. Um, so then we come back to Tyrion. He tells Meryn Trant to find Sansa. He refuses. He only takes orders from the king. Back to the attempted rape, and it's uh, not looking so great. And then all of a sudden, the hound is there. He murders everyone in a gruesome fashion, except for one dude. He leaves alone. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I wrote that down too. I was like, that guy's just cowering in the corner, but he yeah. killed everybody else. Like the one guy who just didn't want to fight, wanted to run away. He got his throat slit. So why uh, did he leave the one guy? Yeah, right. Maybe send a message. You know, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Tell others of his tale. Tell others what you've seen. Yeah, let these rapers know we don't care for raping of the potential queen. Uh, but I, this was a uh, – normally I'm not too much into the gore, but I did think that the uh, visceration uh, was appropriate and shot well. Right, and, because uh, it was, you know, good. righteous. You know, yeah, it was, absolutely. You, you had yeah. no sympathy for the guy getting disemboweled. No, no. And it wasn't filmed in a particularly gruesome manner. No, his back was turned. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I, you know, seeing the hound just come in and wreck in a righteous manner yeah. uh, is, is, I mean, one of the funnest parts of the show. I would agree with you 100%, and yeah. more so than when the time, what I didn't like in season six, where he came with an axe and just started murdering people, just assuming they they did the, <laughs> I don't know, they did the, uh, remember when... Uh, yeah, we're not, I don't want to rehash that. I know, but, I but I, I, that wasn't righteous. Right. Let's just say that that wasn't righteous and that, that didn't... I, I disagree, but anyways. Ooh, ooh. So it, so it's uh, still panic in the streets of King's Landing. We see a noble woman being assaulted. Uh, then Clegane returns to safety with Sansa, tells the attendants to assist with her injury. Uh, he also calls her Little Bird. I think he this is the first time he's used that phrase. And he also is the only person who calls her Little Bird throughout the show, uh, to my recollection. Tyrion attempts to compliment him on a job well done and Kilgain says, I didn't do it for you. What the fuck it's, is that? Yeah, I, I, this is something I think that I we've talked about a little bit before and I brought up is I think that Clegane cares for Sansa uh, due to her innocence or, or, or for some other reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've seen that throughout the show. And I think that maybe this is uh, intended to be a way of showing us that Clegane is not all bad. And then eventually that he will like these better parts of him will shine out or, or come through or take take control of them. And it's just these little hints. And if that's what they're actually doing on purpose, I think it's very interesting. And the long game on that is really cool. I just don't know if they have or, you know, I don't know if that is the, the purpose or why. they. Uh, well, I understand all that. My problem is like he just said, good job. He didn't say thank you for doing that for me. It's like me going, uh, hey, uh, Brian, good job. Uh, on that promotion and you going well I didn't do it for you like I don't understand where like besides him shrugging it off and acting like I did it for me what like Tyrion didn't imply that he did his duty or like for like the hound 
defended Sansa for Tyrion's benefit or anybody else's. He just said good job or well done. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't read. I didn't read into that part of it. I mean, I don't, no, I, I'm I, reading I, into it as just bad yeah. writing. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that Clegane. Uh, part of his uh, deal is to make sure that nobody likes him. And so this is a way that, like, if a guy gives you a compliment, you tell him to go fuck himself. Yeah, but that so would have been better that, if yeah. you would have just said, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I did well, it yeah. for me. I, I don't enough. know. Or Tyrion would have said, thanks for serving the crown. And he would have said, fuck you, I did it for me. That would have made more sense. I'm just having more of a problem with the, the writing on it, rather than what they are intended. I think you're absolutely right. They, they're saying that he has somehow uh, is doing this because he feels something for Sansa, whether it's romantic, whether it's uh, protective, you just I think it's know. more of a uh, – he knows how screwed the world is, and he realizes Sansa's an innocent who's thrown into this awful situation. Yeah. And I think that's his motive. I'm guessing that's his motivation uh, because I don't think we have any mo- – I mean I don't think there's any other motivation that we've seen uh, whatsoever. Um, but it's, I think that's all speculation nonetheless. Yeah. Okay, so now we're back and we go to uh, – uh, <laughs> My autocorrect changed it to quartz, but I'm pretty sure that's not where they're at. Nope. Uh, Karth. That's what it is. All right. Correct. So uh, Danny and uh, Duck Souse uh, wait for the Spice King. Um, the Spice King is the meat sack that we met that uh, tried to bar Danny from entering the city earlier. Um, basically, uh, the guy makes her wait, and when he shows up, uh, Danny basically wants to borrow ships to go to Westeros so she can take the Iron Throne. Uh, but just like last time, this guy is offers nothing but reasonable concerns. You know, they try to play this guy off as like a slimy bastard, but I think he's, to me, he just comes off as a, a practical uh, person. And uh, the I think Danny's fault here is she doesn't lead um, as if it's a business transaction. Uh, and these are all businessmen. She says, you know, it's your duty, or I'm the mother of dragons, all that crap. So we get a little preview of what she's going to be spouting. I've for got a dragon. Give me some ships. Right. Uh, and all that said, uh, the guy is a little bit a, con- a little bit uh, condescending to her by refusing, by pointing out the practicality. Listen, I need these things to make money. Uh, a little bit condescending. Yeah, but that's because her concerns. <laughs> it's all condescending. But she is being a child. Like her Especially. requests are are. Are, are ridiculous. And like I said, if she would have couched this in like a business exchange saying, listen, if you, you can let me, how many ships can you let me borrow? I promise I can give you this much return on your investment. And when I two take the Iron Throne, you can have like exclusive access to blah, blah, X, Y, and Z. If she would have went in with a, a business, uh, I guess, head, uh, it would make sense. But basically she doesn't have anything to bargain with. She's just begging. She's the beggar queen instead of the beggar king like her brother Viserys was. Um, but yeah, he asks all sorts of practical questions, and then eventually she's frustrated and starts to threatening him, threaten him. And she says, "I'll have what is mine." And uh, he says, "Well, you, I'm sure you will, but not with my boats or ships." Um, right. Yeah, not much else to say besides there's more bugs on their clothes. I don't know if you ha- if you didn't see it this time. There's definitely no, I didn't bugs. Notice. There's bugs on their fucking clothes. Take a look. Oh, oh, like uh, like scarabs and that kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, scarabs, and there's like a big <laughs> moth or dragonfly on like. Duck Sauce has a different bug, like ten different, like ten of the same bug on his wear. But the meat sack guy, he has like I don't know, fifteen different kinds of scarabs or bugs on him. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I I, I hate all of these Karth characters. They're all shit. 
they're all ridiculously over the top. Well, it's like all high, show invention. It all high, like high school play, play actors or, and this this meat sack dude is basically ripping off Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride. I, I mean, all he does, the oh, only thing he's not short of doing is saying inconceivable. Um, yeah, I just, I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad Duck Sauce is dead. I'm oh, is he dead? dead. Spo- spoiler alert, guys. Yet, but you know he ends up dead. Oh, uh, I, I don't remember. I remember Duck Sauce ends up dead, but I don't remember, um, you know, this guy ending up dead. So oh, you know what? Spoiler I'm so, I'm sorry. alert, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pri uh, at Pri slices everyone's throats at the, uh, at the, um, at the local government meeting. Guys, I'm sorry. So if you did hear that, I apologize. There are going to be spoilers uh, for the coming events. I, I really hope you didn't hear what Brian just said. Um, Joe. But this is your only warning. There will be spoilers ahead. Um, yeah, I just thought uh, he was a little bit over the top, but I kind of enjoyed it in a weird way. Uh, okay. I just think that she was being a child and she got treated like a child, um, but it didn't really seem to humble her too much or I don't know. And this is all show invention. So this is just spinning spinning the wheels. Once again, Danny's arc this season doesn't need to be involved in every fucking episode. Agreed. And I just don't care about a whole lot of it. So, nope. So anyways, we go back to Heron uh, Hall and Aria's cleaning up. She sees a note about Rob uh, Tywin discusses uh, literacy and uh, how he uh, learned Jamie was dyslexic and uh, taught the dyslexia out of him. Apparently. Yeah, I wrote that down. You know what yeah. the cure for dyslexia is? Trying harder. Four hours a day with your <laughs> asshole dad. You lazy um, fucking kids. With Ari, claims, <laughs> Ari claims that her father was a literate stonemason, I guess, which is a a complete uh, – uh, doesn't make any sense in the time – and and replies that he was killed by loyalty without providing any explanation. Yeah, I got um, something to he, say about that. I'll let you finish though. Yeah, uh, she begins to ask a question, checks herself. Then Tywin goes on to say, "Go ahead and ask your question." She asks Tywin if he knew his father. Tywin explains his father was nearly destroyed. Nearly destroyed his family. In the meantime, Arya is pilfering the letter that we saw in the beginning of the scene that refers to Rob. And then she is sent to set uh, fetch wood for his fire because he's cold. So let's pause here to kind of run through that scene. Okay, I just want to say that like when Arya says her dad was killed by loyalty, it's another one of those uh, comments, just like you mentioned with Bran. It's a little bit too prescient for a child yeah. of this age. Plus, I don't think she was aware of any of the political maneuverings or maturations her dad said we gotta leave we have a dangerous place and that was probably the first she heard of it and then all of a sudden they cut off her dad's head it's not like she got the political background from gendry or hot pie or lamy green hands on the way up she didn't know what the fuck happened she probably just was like the lannisters killed my dad right i don't i don't think she understood that she was being loyal to uh fucking king robert and king robert's wishes for uh you know stannis to take the throne or uh, it just seems a ridiculous statement. Like it's something. It's a. It's a nice line, but it doesn't make sense coming out of Arya's mouth. But other than that, no, I do enjoy the banter between the two. Yes, I absolutely enjoy the banter. It. I. I, I just. It seems like she's continuing to tip her hand a little bit too much. Uh, but then yeah. again, you know, she's whatever ten, eleven years old. I. I don't know that she is able to think that far through things, and it really makes me wonder. Tywin has to know. She is not who she says she is. And even at this point, 
he has to know that she is a royal or, or royalty of some sort, you know. Um, I don't know why he hasn't pursued it further other than maybe he thinks, well, she's just a child. She's not actually a threat to me. So I think, uh, I want to mention this earlier, but I think they are whitewashing Tywin's character by uh, making him more sympathetic and pay- portraying him as being all alone or a lonely guy. Um, okay, that makes sense. Right, being surrounded by idiots, and he's the only companion or the only person that's of his that he can confide to, that he likes to talk to or sees any worth in, is this cupbearer. And maybe she does, she's at least interesting. Right, she's interesting. To he can talk to her. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, like I just think he's lonely, and I feel like they're trying to build this relationship, and it works. It comes off as like a grandparent and a child. It, it really works, and I enjoy it. So I'm willing to forgive it. It's just, uh, you know, they do things like in the previous scene, he got really upset because the guy was incompetent and his son's life was on the line. So obviously you're going to identify with him as a parent. So it just made Taiwan a lot more sympathetic than we get in the books at all. Um, but once again, this is an entire show invention, but like I said, this is an enjoyable show invention. Um, Agreed. It's just so far, you would think Taiwan's character, even the show character, I don't see how he would put up with not knowing who this person was when he knows that there is a story here, you know? Yeah, but, but uh, I enjoy it, so I'm not going to question yeah. it. That's that's uh, just like, sure. it's like The Force Awakens. It's 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 enjoyable, so I'm not going to ask the questions that are being, that should be asked. Sure, All sure. Right. So, and I wonder if Arya, if she's thought to, if this note disappears, like, isn't there going to be some shit to be paid? Because right. who's the first person he's going to suspect? Oh, this weird girl who's in my chambers all the time. But anyway, so outside we see Arya reading the note. Um, she, uh, after reading the note, she is running. I'm not entirely sure where, I guess, to try to send it away. Do we know uh, what the note it, says? I, I read it online, and I don't recall what it says, but it's something to the effect of uh, send these soldiers to this place where we think Rob will be. Uh, so basically it's just this, okay. this strategy, and that's all. I don't think the notes, uh, the, the content is, of the note are important other than – I would have thought they would have shown it a little bit more clearly. I just saw like snippets and Rob Stark and like something yeah. about Summerhall or – I don't know, Summer, I don't yeah. know, some random town. So she runs into Sir, or I think his name is Army Lorch. Um, Amory Lorch, which is the guy that uh, led the attack on uh, the Night's Watch gang. Gotcha. And so uh, he finds, uh, he realizes something's up, uh, sees her carrying the note, questions her, realizes that she's um, she's up to something no, no good, Said tries to grab her to take her to Taiwan to discuss she is skips chase, but is able to scamper away. And there's a lot of scampers in this episode. I don't know if you've noticed. Yes, uh, I so, wrote. I wrote down lots of scampers. Yeah. So as part of her scampers, she finds Jockin, says, "I need you to kill Amory Lorch right and, uh, now. And put a rush on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to need to priority overnight this one. And so then we go to the scene where uh, Amory is starting to walk into Tywin's chambers, and then." He takes one in the neck and goes down. Uh, that, was, that was a really cool shot. I like. And that's that the thing, yeah. I, like this is so ridiculous, but it's so much fun that I yeah. could give a shit. I'm going to excuse this kind of stuff because she asked for uh, him to kill uh, Amory Lurch, and he's like, "Okay, I'll do it, but you have to do it now." He's like, "You can't just be done now. I have to wait for the right time." No, I need it. 
And he's like, okay, yeah. fine. So like the way that she she got him to do it was comical and uh, full of whimsy. And that that shot that was like, <laughs> like yeah. it's so it's like a cliche, but whatever. Yeah. It was a lots of lots of fun. So yeah, so it's a fun set of scenes. The transition from the uh, the the between the discussions between her and Tywin to this like oh oh she's in trouble to uh, kind of a funny kill almost yeah I guess. it's almost like a fucking sitcom or something yeah it's, it's a little ridiculous but like I said fun as hell so I will forgive it all day long it should have ended with a shot of Jack and just kind of shrugging his shoulders like oh, what did I do or, or yeah exactly asking the question that did only I do that blackout drunks and Steve Urkel ask <laughs> did I do that. <laughs> Jomulating jokes. <laughs> Very good. Ah, needed that. Okay. So now we head back down to uh, the Stark camp, or over to the Stark camp. I don't know where the geography is right now. And Rob Stark's walking through uh, his camp in a cheery daze, like he just blew his load or something. Uh, it's really weird. He's just walking around smiling, and everybody's like, hey, what's up? And yeah, he meets I, I, that you uh, associate smiling with that 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 act, but go ahead. Oh yeah, you you, you uh, associate crying with when you blow your load. Okay, <laughs> I, I get can it. We, can we excise the phrase "blowing your load" from the series? <laughs> All right, when someone, you unless someone is actually blowing their load. Okay, when you shoot ropes, you cry. So um, I got it. <laughs> okay, you know I know stomach pancakes is next, but go ahead. So when you make stomach pancakes. Uh, <laughs> That's God. what Rob just did, and he's just, he looks like he's high, he's, you know, it's like he's going through a field and picking flowers, and of course he meets, like, the girl he has a crush on, uh, so it's just a really weirdly staged scene, uh, and he meets Talissa, the surgeon from earlier, that cut off the guy's leg, um, and uh, they, they chat, and he's like, you know, you might be a spy, and she's like, yeah, it might be a spy, I'm writing to Tywin, and I wrote down that, like, I wish she was writing to Tywin. I wish she was a spy. That would be a lot more interesting. Uh, but the show's not that interesting, at least not here. Uh, and basically, they chit-chat, and he gets around to asking her out for coffee, or the equivalent, when his mom just comes right in. Catelyn shows up from the Ren Faire out of nowhere and fucking cock-blocks him. Uh, and she tells him to keep his dick in his pants because he's already made a deal with the Freys, and he's got to marry one of them. And he's like, I know, Mom. Um, and Roos shows up out of nowhere to inform them of the news that he received by Raven about the sack of Winterfell. Yeah, I hated this relationship. Um, <laughs> no, between between him and her, because I, I, this seems like again a Walking Dead. Uh, the, this part of the plot is designed on a horrible, de- a horrible decision that yeah. could have easily been prevented. And I think that like. It just—it's so against these Stark family qualities, or what we we think that they um, what they uh, consider the most important is you know honor, family, that sort of thing. I mean, I I, I understand that that that's the plot line, and that the plot line and that what makes a lot of things interesting. But it was just frustrating to me. It just seemed like a poor decision. Um, and uh, you know, right. I know I'm and, repeating myself. But. Yeah, I know. But let's let's talk about what happens in the book because this character is a show invention. In the book, he does break his vows to the fray by marrying another lady. Uh, but the lady that he marries is a uh, woman of a castle that he stormed, and he got injured during the storming of the castle, and was nursed back to help back to health by the noble Westerlands uh, girl. Uh, Jane Westerling 
Anyway, so like there was a, uh, what do they call it, Florence Nightingale, when you fall in love with your nurse right. situation. In addition to that, her mother uh, encouraged uh, the relationship, um, and she was loyal to the Lannisters. And she gets rewarded for it later. So it makes a lot more sense in the books. Here, yes. it's, just, it's just him being an idiot. And I see a cute girl. Let me pursue her. I, I, yeah, right. And, yeah. And, and you got to think it robs it, it makes him more of an idiot and more, uh, you know, obviously he's not an idiot for falling in love. I don't want to say that. I just think that the circumstances surrounding how it fell out in the book uh, make it a little bit more excusable. Right. This is more like just I saw this cute girls infatuated with her. Oh, well, now I love her all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what kind of that that's what cuts against his betrayal of his family and his promises if it's not as earned or fully fleshed out it just kind of seems kind of silly and leads to like again the the walking dead stupid decision leads to an entire plot right um so and i, I mean i get that they have to cut corners on the show because they in terms of the plot but this seemed like one that uh being that this is such a pivotal decision by rob you would have thought that they would have fleshed it out better made it more uh made it more believable yeah, As I remember being season. angry about Talisa yeah. when I was watching the show for the first time through. I mean, more angry with her than um, uh, Roz, who was another show invention character, because at least Roz like served a it's function, awesome. and you know, I, I don't know, uh, she just wasn't as integral to the plot, let's say, as uh, Talisa is. Sure, sure. And we'll get there when we get to the red wedding, but we'll 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 talk about I think why she was introduced. Um, but we'll talk about that when all of this comes back to uh, haunt Rob. Yes. So next, uh, we go back to uh, north of the wall, and John is leading Egret. They're attempting to find Corin. Uh, they're completely lost. John decides it's time to camp because it's dark. Uh, he lays down next door in order to stay warm, avoid freezing. There's a little bit of pillow talk, and then she tries to give him a little lap fun, and he's not not interested. A little more laugh on, still not interested. Uh, they're just laying the groundwork for these two to uh, eventually fall in love. Yep, not, I, not a whole lot to the scene. Okay, I got one big question to ask. Yes. Do you find Egret attractive? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think she's incredibly yeah. attractive. Uh, but I have a thing for redheads, but that's just me. But, um, it, you know, they're, making, they're forcing this uh, relationship to bloom. And like I said, I don't know if this relationship blooms now in the books. I'm pretty sure, like I said, he goes back to Corrin, and Corrin's whole band gets chased down by wildlings and destroyed, and he has to kill Corrin. And then he makes the move to pretend to be a wildling, and Egret speaks for him. Uh, and then they fall in love, and they have their little courtship there. So I think this is more show invention, but uh, I think she's charming. Uh, but this whole scene just... Uh, you know, it's that's trying to force them to fall in love or show this. Uh, I don't think it was done too well at all. No, I didn't. I mean, I didn't really care for it. I just I understood what it was trying to do, yeah. so it didn't try to upset me, and it wasn't that long. It's fine, you know. Yeah, just fine. Once again, yeah, they win the enemy for the enemy. Said it again. They win the Emmy for being just fine. Game of Thrones. Yes. Okay, so now we go back to the Stark camp, and uh, we get the fallout from the news that Roos delivered about the um, what happened at Winterfell. Rob wants to attack, and you know, unless we got to go back there, we got to retake the castle because no one will respect me. If I, what kind of king am I? If I can't protect my own castle, blah blah blah. 
but Roos rightfully uh, points out that this is probably the wrong move. Uh, he can't not keep pursuing the Lannisters. He's got to keep fighting. Uh, but Roos also sees a way to profit from this by suggesting that his bastard back at the Dreadfort uh, could take a small group of people and take back the castle since the castle is being held by a skeleton crew. Um, and that's where we end it here. But I think the, the obvious thing is Rob should have probably sent his own small uh, detachment back to Winterfell uh, to maybe augment the Bolton troops or maybe... Uh, attempt the second attempt if it fails to take the castle back. I don't think he should have done nothing and left it all in Roose Bolton's hands because uh, obviously he's not to be trusted, but even here you can see that Roos is uh, doing some political maneuvering to get the glory here or um, make sure political that, favor. Yeah. Right. And oh boy, we know who that bastard son is. Oh man. Oh I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. But I. Rob has to know who Ra- or uh, uh, Ramsey Bolton is, right? Uh, it's not in the book. It's not really talked about until later. It's like he had a bastard, and that's no big deal. But um, they still thought they that didn't everybody... hear rumors that people yeah. would disappear at the the Dread Fort, but they didn't know. I, I don't think people knew specifically that it was Ramsey doing it. Gotcha. Well, and I, I don't, I'm surprised that Rob didn't keep uh, Roos a little bit further at arm's length and, and sending his own men, like you mentioned. I mean, we know that Roos wanted to already skin people to torture them uh, prior to this. I mean, who knows what his son's going to do on his own. But, um, you know, kind of I think that's uh, hindsight 2020 kind of. But at analysis. the same time, the show has simplified things and he doesn't have like the great John. Where's the great John? Nowhere yeah. to be seen. I think we we find out about the Karstarks later when he when Rob has one of them executed, but um, you don't see any other advisors around Rob. Besides yeah, where the sh- he had his war council earlier in the in the season. Where the hell are they all gone? It's the show just simplifying things. That's it. That's all yeah. I can think of. Um, yeah, it, what's removing some of that nuance is, is really kind of dulls it down, dumbs it down. But. Yeah, it dumbs it down. I think to a to a, a, a ridiculous or, or uh, it's not. I don't know. You could have had those people higher on. You know, I don't know how much they cost to have the great John just in the background or maybe say, yeah. that's right, or I don't agree with that, and then, you know, pay him his day charge or whatever his rate is. I, right. I, I don't know. It's like little things like that uh, would go a long way. Um, but, yeah, uh, this is just setting up Ramsey, you know, introducing him uh, here, which I don't right. know if he even shows up in this season. I can't remember. I don't recall, and I hope to God he doesn't. So next we go to Osha, and she is down talking to Theon. Uh, she is also opportunistic in the way I think Littlefinger and her would have gotten along pretty well. Uh, she is willing to bang Theon for his safety uh, when he's he doesn't consider this an equal trade until he she's kind of hints that the uh, free folk are really freaky. They got some crazy sex techniques. Yeah, like doing it in the ear. I, I've never understood that joke. Is that um, a so, joke? Yeah, that's a thing. I oh, don't know okay. What, well, I'll look yeah, it up on made uh, that joke. the Wikipedia. I think primarily, I mean, I don't think it's actually a thing. I think people make that joke, and uh, so you're copying people. Anyways, uh, so she drops her skirt, and even though she's a wildling trash, she's immaculately groomed, and uh, she more or less offers to trade sex for freedom Theon agrees as long as she takes him to the bone zone, and it's super awesome. Would you prefer her to have winter legs and maybe a happy trail? 
No, I just and sometimes uh sometimes this that the perfectness of all of the naked people in the show yeah, or other all than Odor, the, uh it's kind of like it makes it you aware like, that it's a TV show and not Yeah. Real life. I mean like imagine an actual if like if there was a real life wildling and, I mean, and just and think about her hair just a couple episodes ago, how out of control yeah. her hair was. But, yeah, she, she's perfectly trimmed and taut and all that nonsense. Uh, silly. For whatever reason, it struck me as odd in this scene, but uh, not doesn't matter that much. Yeah, but uh, Theon falls for it against his better judgment because he's a fucking idiot, and we all know mm. that you don't stick your dick in crazy. Ever. Or wildling trash. Or wildling trash, I guess. Yes. Like Gilly. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. So, right. uh, Osha uh, wakes up the the later after bang, banging um, Theon sneaks out. She doesn't want to be there in the morning when he wakes up. Apparently, and I don't understand why doesn't she just kill him right That's, there? I wrote the exact same thing. Yeah. So she f- finish out the scene. Yeah. So she leaves the chambers. She's outside of. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where she is. I don't think it's communicated to us well where she is in relation to Winterfell. Maybe out on the outside, but maybe the, I, I would think there would have been more guards. She pretends to make up. She's accosted by a guard. Pretends that she has been made a gift to all the guards, then uh, slices his throat. Whistles and the wolves, Bran and Hodor, come out from beyond the shadows. I just don't understand this plan at all. I mean. What what necessitated her banging Theon in order to make this happen? I mean, I, unless she was in a cell or something before that, uh, but I don't think there was any indication of that. I, I don't know. I don't get what's going on here. I don't know, but in the in the in the book, I I know some things, and in the book, the plan is she takes everybody, she kills a guard, they leave out of the back day, gate, and they then they turn around and go right back, and they hide in the crypts. Right, um, and then they make their escape once Winterfell is assaulted by the the uh, Boltons later. Um, but but right now, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I wrote this down: Why, if she's willing to kill the guard to get away, why wouldn't she just kill uh, Theon? It doesn't make much sense at all. She he's right there, and if she's able to sneak away, presumably there's nobody in there watching. And it's also odd that nobody's outside of his door and stops her. I mean, yeah, maybe she could have looked outside. Maybe sure, maybe there's no guard on the door. Then go back in and slit his throat. I don't know. Uh, the the whole like the whole slept with Theon thing. It really seems like just an excuse to show her naked and yeah, fill out a scene. to get the I, I think, booby quota in for the. Yeah, the I, don't, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense in the play unless they explain to it previously or showed that she was in shackles or she was in a cell or something that necessitated her banging Theon to have be able to move around the castle, but that is definitely not communicated to us. So it looks like she just might have wanted to bang Theon and then after that was done she wanted to hit it and quit it and I mean <laughs> that's it. I mean Theon is is a prize there. Um yeah. it doesn't yeah you're right it doesn't make a lot of sense. But once again I think it's just simplifying things for the show. Um and it wasn't too long of a seduction, so I'm willing to overlook it. I don't think it was an episode wrecking scene. No, no, no. Just just pointing out the silliness of it. Absolutely. So, I understand. Yeah. Alright, so we end the episode, uh, thank God. Uh in Karth. Quarth? No, it's Karth. And Duck Souse is escorting uh Danny around uh the gardens on their way back to his place. 
I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah. this guy's the fucking worst. Duck Salves? It seems like, yeah, he's like, it's almost like he's, he's got a tape recorder playing the same phrases over and over yeah. again. I came from nothing. I am nothing. I yeah. did things I wasn't proud of. Blah, 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 blah. And I, like the. It's just terrible get, writing. That's all it is. These are, this no, is all I know. show invention crap. And it, I think it's supposed to like set up just how much of a fraud he is that we learn later. Yeah, I but guess. It's, it's so fucking repetitive. I don't care about this asshole. But go I ahead. don't care anything Sorry. about Danny's whole plot line. So uh, yeah. let's continue with this awful uh, plot line. Uh, so anyway, on the way back to Danny's place, Duck Souse is giving her like life lessons again, and says, in order to get you know, in order to be big time, you got to do some deplorable shit. Basically, he says, I had to do some things I weren't proud of, and you've got to do that too if you're going to get what you want. <laughs> Um, great, you know, life advice. Anyway, they reduct, uh, return to Duck Souse's house to find a lot of people dead and, uh, the dragons are missing and she wants to know where dragons are. And we do a smash cut to, uh, the warlocks taking, uh, the dragons back to the house of the undying. I don't think that's made clear, but that's where they're going. No, it's not made clear. And I get a question. How many Dothraki are alive at this point in, in Danny's horde? Five? So ben? the idea, uh, I don't know in the show, but in the books, it's a, there's maybe like a hundred of them, and they're mostly old people, uh, women, children. Uh, the only fighters that she has are the like uh, the blood riders, the like the three or four like lieutenants of uh, Drogo, and one of them I think is dead because uh, Jorah killed him, uh, and right. one lost his head I guess when she sent him out in that red waist thing. I don't know what that's about. So, yeah, I, so I, not I, a lot of Dothraki, but I noticed that one guy that was dead on the stairs was looked like a Dothraki guy. Right, right. So this is a fucked up ending. Uh, I mean, I think it, when when we see the the dragons being carried up to the tower, I think that this is the show writers in this part of the episode were guilty of assuming that the watcher knew more than they should have based on the books. Because I don't think this was particularly ominous to me. It just looked like the dragons were were kidnapped. You know That's exactly it, it, what it looked like, like an eight team yeah. episode or something. Uh, but, get cheesy. Uh, you, um, sorry, go ahead. If you knew that, like that that weird ass Priet Pre was involved, the guy you, with the purple lips. You don't even have to be that. Like it. Like if you would have like seen the guy in the hood and his mouth was blue, and you were paying yes. attention, you would remember that. Oh, the warlocks drink the blue stuff that turns their lips blue. This is a warlock. Uh, you could have at least given the audience a puzzle to figure out. You know what I mean? Like, even the average yes. Joe is not going to notice that. Maybe he'll talk to the guy around the water cooler and he'll tell him or they'll figure it out together. I don't know. Little things like that, I think, could have made this... Uh, this, just, this, this ending whole... could have been so much more ominous. I mean, it, e easily. It, you kind of are like, what happened to these dragons? But... God, it could have been like an ending, like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. So, uh, and you know what's funny is uh, I was looking online, uh, there is was actually a deleted scene where, if you recall from the last episode, there were the two handmaids of Danny's that were fighting with each <laughs> yeah, other. Yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> one of them strangled the, the other one as part of this raid, which I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what? why. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how it fits in, but you can see like a picture, a still of the scene. If you go to one of the Wikipedias, it's fucked up. But um, yeah, like Danny wa runs over to her handmaid and is all upset, and I felt nothing. I mean, well, I normally yeah, well, feel nothing, well, I but think, like I don't know that shit? Danny felt that much because the first thing that she yelled is, "Where are my dragons?" <laughs> so, 
she's like, okay, well, this bitch is dead, but where are my dragons? You know? So, um, yeah, yeah, I did. I thought this scene was interesting because you did see all the people dead, and you're like, "What is even going on here?" But right. God, it could have been. I understand it. It, it, it. You know, I felt uh, even watching it, I was like, "Oh no, her dragons are gone. That's a suck." You know, this is like her only path to Westeros is basically these dragons. Like she needs them more than they need her for sure. Um, so I felt a little bit of like, like I got my stuff ransacked and stolen. I guess a little bit. But at the same time, it, <laughs> like, it, like you had your time ransacked. Yeah, yes, like I, uh, that. I have these oxygen bandits that are the yes. showrunners stealing oxygen by having this drivel. But um, uh, yeah, I I still uh, I still enjoyed this episode. So let's wrap it up and let's give our ratings. I, I did too. I think we were pretty critical on it, uh, but I did like it a lot. Yeah, um, of course. And, and the only That's the theme of the I podcast. Think, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think the only thing we're critical is because some of this shit just doesn't make any sense, but it's still a lot of fun. It's still you know, a lot of fun. The, yes, and once again, I think that if you err on the side of being fun, you're we're, we'll look the other way, or at least I will as an audience member. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let me give this a rating. I'm going to go ahead and give it a three. I'm going to go ahead and get 3.5 because once again, I enjoyed it. I don't think I've given an episode this season more than a 2.5 on the five-point scale. Uh, 0.5. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it a 3.5 just because I it was enjoyable. Like I sat down and I watched this episode and it wasn't a slog. It was a uh, enjoyable experience. So I'm not saying I'm going to look forward to next episode. I'm just saying um, I enjoyed this hour of TV. I agree. And I'm, I'm going to give that a Campbell's pizza soup. Oh, God, I've never had pizza soup. It sounds like a better idea than it actually is. It is very good. Oh, it's it? uh, that in the chunky line of soups. Holy shit! It's chunky pizza. Well, it's in the chunky line of soups. I don't think they title it as chunky pizza, but it's very <laughs> but good. That's what it is. Chunky yeah. pizza soup? Are you fucking serious? It's got like chunks of pepperoni and chunks of vegetables and <laughs> chunks uh, of dough. Yeah, it's got like the, almost like a gnocchi kind of dough balls in it, and then uh, DJ gnocchi. <laughs> yeah, the, the the sauce is like a, almost like a. Pizza flavored broth is a uh, pizza sauce flavored broth. Okay, uh, you've got me intrigued. So uh, you know, what? I'm oh, not yeah. gonna get ramen next time I go to the grocery store. It's gonna be chunky pizza soup. Uh, I'm excited yes. for that. That actually, and sounds- if you can, if you can add your own pepperoni or sauces to it, just you know, take I was it up wondering, do you add like hot sauce or Tabasco to that? I mean. Doug, I put hot sauce on my cereal. I put hot sauce in everything. Okay, all right, we'll we'll get into that. You later. know that I've been oh. on I've been on the sriracha bandwagon for twenty years oh, now. Oh, jeez. All right, sriracha. I know. Is, I was on it before it was hip. All right, sriracha is just okay. It's something that needs to be in your arsenal, but you don't put sriracha on everything because it doesn't taste good on everything. Just like Tabasco sauce. Tabasco sauce tastes amazing on certain items. On other uh, items, it takes away. So Tabasco uh, sauce. Tabasco brand is overrated and overpriced. I agree, but it is pretty goddamn good on seafood. I'll just say that, uh, especially compared to like a Mexican sauce or something like that. Anyway, we are devolving as we do, but uh, that's the end of the episode. Uh, once again, be sure to check out uh, the Shameful Dead, which Brian will won't doesn't want any part of, but we'll probably have a guest or two on, and that'll be premiering uh, next Tuesday, which will be when you're listening to this right now. Uh, and we'll be talking about I'm going to say Michonne's death. Uh, that's just a guess. Brian, you have a guess? 
no. My guess is whether I'm going to watch it or not. <laughs> Glenn, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, it could be Glenn. Uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So for Brian, uh, this is Doug saying see you next Tuesday, and thanks for joining us, guys. Take care. Say it. Say something. Say something. Oh, oh goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for all the fish. From the brilliant minds behind Ashamed of Thrones comes a new repugnant podcast called The Shameful Dead. Each week, Doug will quickly rant about a show we all love to hate. The Walking Dead. I have hate quit this show so many times. I can't keep the backstory straight. But somehow, Netflix... I keep coming back for the gratuitous violence. We may have guests, we may not, we don't really know right now. And frankly, this whole thing could fall apart at any moment. Just like the skull of a dear friend after a kiss from Lucille. It may be a train wreck. It may be a really bad train wreck. Either way, See you next Tuesday. Oh yeah. Happy Halloween. Wankers. <laughs>